What's up, team? It's Syra, your overly talkative financier. Today, we're having a little fun and taking a look at the 20 money questions Aditi from Ask Zeta compiled on her website. You can find these questions at www.askzeta.com forward slash magazine. That being said, it's about to get awkward AF in here. So let's just go. Welcome to Girls Just Want to Have Funds, the weekly podcast that deconstructs the intimidating world of finance. Hosted by Syra Rahman, VP of Finance at HM Bradley, and her partner in crime, Megan McShane, a manager at a Fortune 100 company, and supported by Stockwitz. Girls Just Want to Have Funds will take on the important questions in personal finance that so many of us avoid, but also take on a glass of wine or two. Learn more, subscribe to the show, and join Syra and Megan on their no shame adventure to financial freedom at girlsjustwanna.com. Hey, Nina. Hey, Sai. How we doing? I like, I'm really sad that we're not together right now. <laughs> we had so much fun last weekend that I'm just, I guess I'm just disappointed is the best way to put it. I, it took me a week to recover. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tell you that. Like I was just a piece of, you know what, this week. I was oh, in bed every funny. night at 8 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> so it was worth it. Totally, well, totally worth it. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how I feel at this point. I'm like, well, at least we knew that we did everything we possibly could to have fun. And we, I don't know, we did what we needed to do to get everything done the way that we needed to do it. I have to say, I re-listened to everything Aditi said, and I'm like still absorbing so many of the incredible pieces of information she gave us. And I downloaded a few books because now I want to take a deep dive into the whole couples thing. I don't know if you had a reaction after chatting with her. No, I I absolutely loved it. And I, I listened back to it too and took more notes as I do while we're taping anyway. I was thinking about it and I proposed something to you last time. And I said, hey, let's bring in like our partners and go through those 20 amazing questions that she said every partner or couple should really talk about when they want to start the communication line of finance. And, you know, I realized we're probably more of a couple for our listeners. And I think maybe (laughs) you and I should just go through the questions together. I'm feeling a little, I'm getting like a cold sweat, but I'm a little... I don't know. I'm nervous. I'm excited. I'm excited and nervous. Okay. All right. Should we, should we take a quick break and then we'll jump into all the fun? Let's take a quick break. Okay. Sweet. Nick was like, we were, I had to return something to Nordstrom and Nick was like, uh, do I want to go in with you? And I was like, yeah, why not? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, you know, you might need some new shirts and pants. He's been bulking now for like three weeks and he's, I'm sure he's partially retaining water weight, but the man is big right now. (laughs) Well, he's getting into fighting shape. He is. You know what? He is his intention because he's like gone up on his protein by like threefold at least. So I know that he's trying to build muscle, but simultaneously with that comes size. So he's like all husky now on top. (laughs) So I'm trying to, I'm just, I'm trying to be encouraging because he's like super uncomfortable in his clothes. So I'm like, go get, go get clothes that you're comfortable in. Like we're at home all the time. At least, at least feel comfortable. Hell yeah. I would. Yeah. What he didn't tell me is that he wanted to go to Lululemon. He didn't want to go to Nordstrom. (laughs) So I found that out in the car right on the way home. Did you go to Lululemon? 
No. And here's the sad part. I had to return something to, to Sephora as well. And he next door to Sephora is like my favorite Lululemon in Colorado. And he didn't get out of the car. Like, I don't know what he was too involved with his safety Kindle that goes everywhere with us. So I love that. Yeah. Safety Kindle. Safety Kindle. Yeah. Well, you know how some people have a safety blanket or like a safety whatever. I have the safety water bottle. My water bottle goes with me everywhere. His thing is a safety Kindle. Nick takes his Kindle anywhere that we go just in case it takes longer than he'd like and he needs to whip it out. Because why would he talk to his partner? It's easier for it. Taylor has a safety backpack that you know. He looks like a little turtle walking down the street. But I, I give him so much crap for it. But he knows me all too well. Maybe not as much as I used to because of our work together. But, you know, I always buy stuff. And he's like... But now our hands are free and we can put it in the backpack. And almost every time he's right, even if it's going to the grocery store, he's like, now our hands are free. That's so funny. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> weird, weird partners that we have. All right. So now that we've teased both of them a little bit, mm-hmm. should we take a stab at some of these questions? Yes, I love it. I want to read, okay, the beginning of the 20 essential money questions for couples to cover. And where, Megan, before you jump in, where can people find this quiz? You can actually find it at askzeta.com slash magazine. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, let's let's dive in. So what were you going to say we should be reading? No, yeah, I just want to read the beginning of it. There's a, an amazingly long article with so much pertinent information about humanizing couples' finance that everyone should read. Brad. But I just want to read the beginning to kind of get us in the mood to answer some of these questions. So okay. it says, tackling our money money pass with money, the past does not predict the future, which I think is so critical. These questions will help you build empathy for each other. Oh, look at us in our little coupleship and identify experiences that impacted your outlook on money. Rad. Okay. So we answered this last week, but you have to come up with a new memory. (laughs) Okay. What's your first money memory? And what's funny is the memory that I shared last week was the first one that popped into my head, but it definitely isn't actually my first money memory. My my real first money memory is back when I was a kid and my dad would give me money for lunches. So the school lunches at the time, I'm really dating myself right now and I hate it a little bit, but they were $1.25. And if I wanted to get a bag of popcorn, it was an extra 40 cents. But if I saved up for two days in a row, I could get one of the ice cream bars that was 75 cents. So to be perfectly honest, my first memory is actually of how I budgeted to get whatever extra treat I wanted because my dad gave me $2 every day for my school lunch. And so there you have it. That was my first time budgeting was figuring out what shitty food I was going to tack on to my meal on a daily basis. Mm. Oh, and but for what it's worth, by the time I graduated, lunch was up to like $1.60. So it was very expensive for me. I think that says so much about you. And I think that's why we're asking these questions. <laughs> okay. I have to think of a new one besides the pink thong, even though that was a pretty epic story. (laughs) When I graduated college, I got my first job in Seattle and I had a little bit tiny disposable income that I constantly disposed of. But the first thing I bought in Seattle, I lived in Madison Park. If anybody knows Seattle, I know you do. And they had this adorable hardware store that had all these like trinkets. And every day I would walk past after I got off the bus and they had a beautiful 
eggshell blue teapot, but it was $40. And I was budgeting pretty hard because I didn't make that much. But once I hit like a little bit of disposable income, I like ran to the hardware store and bought the teapot. I actually love that. Do you still have the teapot? I do. And I take such good care of it. You know, don't grill anything if it splatters on the teapot. Like I got to wash it off. Like I'm pretty crazy about it. You know, it's only 40 bucks, but it was so sentimental to me. Good. And like a moment in my life, you know? Yeah. That was your first big purchase, right? That was the first time that you had enough money to buy exactly what you wanted. That is something to celebrate for sure. That's an awesome memory, Meg. Okay. I will. I'm going to pull number two. Okay. Did your parents ever sit down with you and talk about money? My parents always, you know, they said money is important. It's not the most important thing, but you need to always have, you know, you need to always be working to have money so you're secure. My dad actually set up my first bank account ever. And I know we talked about this eons ago, it feels like, but he set up my first bank account. He got me my first debit card. He took me to the bank. He told me how to deposit a check. Really transactional. That was definitely the extent of what I can remember when I was like 15. Yeah. That's what my dad taught me, I think. So there wasn't like a ton of exposure, right? So you didn't, you knew how to do the basics. Like he taught you how to do all of the very simple things. Yes, definitely. He was like, here are the basics. Here's how you write a check. Always have a checkbook, which is ironic now because I don't even know how to get more checks if I needed them. Yeah. That's my first one I could remember. How about you? Well, I can't recall if I've actually shared this on the podcast or somewhere else, but the very first memory that I have was my 16th birthday. I was so pumped. My girlfriends took me out to the one and only TGI Fridays, who should Mm -hmm. also sponsor us because I said that. But TGI Fridays was like our cool hangout spot. So we went for a nice long lunch on Saturday. And then my dad was like, go through the garage when you get home. And I was like, yes, I'm going to get this rad car. And It should have made more sense in my mind. Like my parents are extreme budgeters. They're very cheap people. And it just so happened that three weeks prior, my sister had totaled her Honda Civic. So I go to open the garage and I know that I've already ruined the surprise. And lo and behold, inside of the garage is my sister's supposed totaled Honda Civic. And it is in full functioning condition. And my heart was like, all right, I should be excited. I got a car. And then again, to talk about the money piece of it, I get into the car. And that was the real gift that my dad gave me. And it was a book called Girls Just Want to Have Funds, which to me is something, which is why this podcast means a lot to me. It was my dad giving me the first steps into learning how to invest. And it was the first time that I really started experimenting on the finance side was through that book. So between really that book and some of the coaching that my father gave me in the background, I learned how to invest. And that was at the age of 16. Oh my God. I love that. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's how I even thought of the name Girls Just Want to Have Funds, right? It was it was that moment that meant a lot to me when I was a kid. Yeah. I'm just going to make a comment. I feel like money sparks a lot of memories. So just even on question two or three for me, it's like, Look how empathy or emotive we are just talking about money memories, especially tied to our families. Oh, yeah. Okay. This makes a lot of sense. All right. Good job, Ass Ada. We got it. (laughs) All right. Question three. Trace, what word comes to your mind when you think about how your family approached money when you were growing up? 
Wow. That's a tough one. I think if I had to choose one word, I would do family. Our family approached money as a family. So from the beginning of time, I always contributed to the family pot. So I had a job starting when I was 16 years old. I have worked ever since then. And all of my money always contributed to something correlated to what my family goals were. So when our family was buying a house, I had contributed to that. And it was the same thing for when my sister went to school or when somebody bought a car inside of our family. We share all of our funds and it's it's only been to our entire family's success, right? So that's kind of the yeah, I guess I guess family would be the word that comes to my mind when it comes to how we approach it because it, it's not just my money, it's everyone's money in the family. Do you feel like that's something you want to take on as you go into the next chapter of your life? Yeah, absolutely. You know what? It was one of the best things that my parents ever did because they were like, we are actually one unit. We all function separately and we all make different amounts of money, but we function together. And that was something that was really important to me with my last relationship as well. And that's really important to me and Nick because we don't have balanced checkbooks, right? Like I I have the backing of my family and he doesn't. He works and his bank account is his own. So I think it'll be it'll be significant to us going forward as well when we figure out exactly how we want to handle our kids. Yeah. But I like that. I mean, it's kind of the the modern way to think about it because a lot of us find our partners later in life when we're very well established. Whereas our parents, you know, your parents and my parents both like pretty young got married like before they were established. So they kind of jointly did everything together. Now for us, me and Taylor included, we're both very well established in our own careers and finances. And so yeah, I'm curious like what his word is too, but it's definitely a different evolution of generations now that we're coming together and trying to merge finances or at least just communicate effectively, which can be hard. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. And I love that. I love hearing that. And for what it's worth, that's a really intimate, quiet detail about me that I don't share often with others because it's a little bit strange. I think when you're not an immigrant to not share your funds, and I'm sure that there are other people that do it out there, but I know that it's a unique approach towards living and financials. But I'm curious what your word is now. Conservative. I think conservative. You know, I grew up very well, I would say, but it wasn't something that we really talked about very readily, money. We did talk about it as a family when we, you know, did big trips. Like, hey, that big trip is coming up. Like, we need to pull back here or not do that, etc. But we were very conservative. We didn't really talk about money because we thought it was a little gauche, which I still think it is to some extent, depending on how you talk about it. But yeah, conservative is my word. Okay. I think it's my turn to ask a question. All right. Better up. Okay. What money habits did your parents practice? Was one parent more financially engaged than the other? And how did you feel about those habits? Yeah. So like I was saying, my parents got married when they were 23, 24. And they both worked. When my mom had me at 28, she quit her job to stay at home and raise four kids, which is a huge undertaking and a job that you never get time off from. But you don't get paid. But my dad took over all finances very traditional. So he was the one that like kept the books, knew where things were going. But him and my mom had a very open dialogue about it. They were always very much 
this is our money. It's not my money because I make it because we're building a life together. But it was much more on my dad. Like tax season came up, he he got a little crabby, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally get that. I totally get that. I mean, I feel like that's probably a lot of American households for, you know, especially parents from your parents' generation. I think that is a pretty common theme. Do you think it's because they got married so young? No, because I mean, my parents got married around the age of 27 and and they led a very different life than your parents. Although, I mean, again, they they were immigrants, so different cultural background, but Hmm. I don't know if it's just because they got married so young. I also, I mean, I question how many people actually got married when they were older back then as well. If that changed the setup. Yeah. Yeah. I Hmm. think because we are taking more time to like date and get to know people and understand our financial situation before we get married, I think there's a completely different attitude in general towards how how we approach dating and how we approach finances in our generation versus prior generations, for sure. So what about you? You said, you know, it was a little bit different than my family. So did one or the other parent have more financial hold or responsibilities? What did that look like? So here's what's interesting. My mom was actually the bread maker. My dad was the money manager. And so I actually was raised on the premise that I would always be extremely independent by my mom. But what's interesting is that my mom doesn't know how to take money out of an ATM. To this day, my mom just, she's going to kill me for saying this out loud, but she just turned 70. So to this day, she does not know how to take money out of an ATM. She's like never pumped gas. She's never been inside of a bank branch aside from looking at her jewelry. Like my mom is extremely hands-off about money. And I believe that's also why she doesn't know exactly what I do for a living. But Another story altogether. So yeah, my mom has been the main vein in our family's finances, but my dad has always been the one to handle them. I would say more of like a nuclear family, like in the sense that you think of like 1950s and you're like, oh, the man handles the finances. But the irony in that is that your mom was making the money. Yeah, for sure. But I don't even know that my mom knows exactly how much she was making. Huh? Yeah. Well, that, that is crazy. Blind, that is blind faith in your dad. And that is probably <laughs> yeah. why they are still married because <laughs> he didn't screw it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's literally, she's literally like in retirement doing very well. Well, she claims she's in retirement. She still works half days. Of and course. It, of course, but it's super humorous to me because she always turns to me and she's like, you don't know. I, I can't be retired yet. And I've literally seen their retirement accounts and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mom. <laughs> it's wild. It is wild. So speaking of that, how the setup was, it seems to be working for your parents. Do you ever remember them fighting about money when you were little? You can pass, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't recall them ever fighting. I just, the only thing that I remember when it came to like potential financial clashes was when my dad was like, okay, we can buy a bigger house when my mom came out of her residency and started working full-time as a doctor. And that was as we were approaching high school. And my mom decided to stretch the budget. Oh. Yeah. And I just remember the look on my dad's face when my mom picked the house and my dad was like, not, he was not comfortable. Let's put it that way. And I just, 
Yeah, I knew, we all knew when we were driving by in our little minivan when we drove past the house and my mom was like, I want that house. We all knew that my mom was getting that house except for the fact that my dad was like full-fledged panic attack. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But otherwise, no, not really, not really a fight over money ever. No. What about your parents? Did they ever fight about money? Well, now that I'm thinking about my word for my family, which was conservative, I definitely think that's more my dad than my mom. And because he handled the finances, we were conservative, but I think it really boded well for my parents because now they're, they're riding pretty comfortable. I mean, you know, everybody's still got to work. They had four kids and two are graduating college. So <laughs> there's freedom on the horizon for my dad. <laughs> they can finally retire. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like I do remember my mom, my mom like pushes him a little bit. I think my dad is definitely risk averse. Like most dads are, I'm making a very broad statement, but you know, she's like, we can go out to dinner. We can like get new clothes. And she kind of pushes him a little bit because she knows, she knows how much is in the bank and she knows how much their expenses are. And so she does kind of keep him on his toes. That's probably why he's still so in love with her to this day. And cause she's gorgeous. But <laughs> that's only because she's listening right now that you said that, huh? I mean, she is gorgeous, though. She Come is on. beautiful for what it's worth, but I'm she dying. She totally is. It. <laughs> no, yeah. Mom, I hope you're on your walk and listening to this. But <laughs> I think that would be the biggest fight or the biggest rub between them is my mom would be like, we can still have fun and save money. We don't need to like keep this all in a nest egg and just build a bunker and like live down there. We can get out of the house. I mean, you could. You could build a bunker, but... But it's yeah, not as fun. Miserable. It's not as fun as the life that your parents are living. I mean, they they no. have such a blast when they go out together. I just Ugh. yeah. I wanna I wanna be the Purcells when I grow up. Same. I really do. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Jumping into the next question. Did right you on. get an allowance as a child? And what did you do with it? I don't think I really got an allowance. My parents are like, okay, you have a, a roof over your head, you have clothes, you have food. And we wake you up in the morning and you're expecting money from us, more money, which, you know, I kind of get what they were saying. Yeah. Now, if I wanted things, I could plead my case and get them. That wasn't that hard for me. What I actually started getting some money for was, again, I'm one of four. So I'm 10 years older than my little brothers. So I had to babysit them on my weekends. <laughs> and a lot of my friends actually would spend the night and we'd babysit. So my parents would throw me a couple dollars. They'd be like, you know, you're sacrificing a night of eighth grade, you know, Saturday night, eighth grade, like, what am I going to do with the steak and shake sort of a thing? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, steak and shake. Sorry. Right. The fries. But yeah, they throw me a couple dollars that way. But again, Syra, I think my bad behavior with money started one, because my dad was so conservative, I probably wanted to rebel. So it was money in, money out. I didn't save any of it. It wasn't in a bank. Like it was like, okay, the next night I'm going to go to Steak and Shake and like splurge and like treat everybody because I have $20 in my wallet. Yeah. Okay. I'm starting to see like the, <laughs> the mad patterns <laughs> of my funny. life. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So you with your parents who were very much surrounded in like, let's talk about money as a family and make decisions. Did you get an allowance? No, no. I, I mean, I never, man, I, it's not that I ever needed anything. So they always took care of like books and whatever. All of that stuff was always handled for school. But I actually thought allowances was something of a fairy tale that was just put into books. Like my parents never suggested it. They never brought it up. I I don't know that any of my friends even had allowances. I, it wasn't really discussed. But 
I was definitely one of the one of the kids at school that, you know, I had to write a three page essay as to why I needed an extra sweatshirt for the volleyball team. <laughs> wow. But I never, I never needed anything. And again, that goes back to the lunch money counting, right? Like sometimes it stashed that away because I was like, how, how do I get whatever I need to get at school that my parents are not going to include and Siren needs that to succeed? God, they really put some guardrails around you. I feel like, (laughs) but that's good. I mean, hell, look at you now. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it taught me a lot of lessons. And to me, it's definitely something that I'm going to implement with my kids. Like if my kids want money, they're going to have to go out and get it themselves and they're going to be paying me. They're going to back pay me first. So yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's for what it's worth. It's still something that I'm doing. I still try to take care of my parents to this day because they spent their whole lives making us succeed. So that's amazing that you can do that, though. Yeah, it is amazing. And that's not something that most people have the ability to do. And it's something that I intend to do until the day that my parents die, which they'll never, ever, ever die. But you know what I mean. They're immortal. Talk everlasting. (laughs) Exactly. (sighs) All right. Question seven. What drives your financial decisions today? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I I have my nest egg, right? And that one that sits somewhere that I can't see it, can't touch it, can't play with it. That's fostering interest on its own. Mm -hmm. Then I have my investing strategy, which has been the same. My, it's been the same for the last several years. The budget has expanded over time, but for the most part, my investment strategy has stayed essentially identical. Just the percentage of what I'm investing stays, has fluctuated. And then I allocate a small portion of my paycheck to my fund money, right? So I have that tiny little bit that stays off and to the left for when people like Megan McShane come into town and I need to blast through a zillion dollars because we drink in and downtown Denver is not cheap. So that's kind of how I've managed my life in terms of investments and just basic living. So it's if I had to like sum it, it would be paycheck minus bills. And then I've always split off how much I'm willing to spend versus how much I'm investing. And that that investment ratio is always fluctuated. All right. I'm going to answer the question pre-Syra talking to me about finance and post. Okay, okay cool. Pre-Syra talking to me about finance. How did I feel? <laughs> Do I need that dress? No. Do I want it? Yes. Do I get it? Absolutely. <laughs> that was how I made my financial decisions. And yeah. I very quickly got over kind of the buyer's remorse very quickly. But then it became an overarching anxiety that just felt like this boulder that was like tumbling after me, eating into my savings and working so hard and being like, how am I ever going to buy a house? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Post working with Syra, my financial decisions are made on how much is in my fund money and starting to gut check myself, even like putting stuff into my basket, like my digital basket. I look at it and I'm like, all right, go look at your closet. You have 10 dresses you haven't worn in a year and a half. Do you need it? No. Do you want it? No. Are you going to get it? No. So I would say like, yeah, it's like pre and post. 
That's how I feel about it now. I feel better now about it. I miss the days of like the baller status that I thought I was, but I know I cannot be yet or ever. Well, you know, you can, there will be a time when you've saved enough and you've started investing and you've really built it up where I think that you can start experimenting more with, with what your ratio of like investing to fund money is, but you need to get there, right? Like you'll mentally understand when you've reached that point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that day. It's coming, girl. It's coming. Oh, yeah. You just got to keep building it up. It's a matter. Okay. It's a matter of sticking with your thesis. <sighs> yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. That leads me into a, a more fun question. Okay. If you want a million dollars tomorrow, what would you do with that money? Wait. Okay. Before you answer, I know you're financially conservative, and this is a financial podcast, but <laughs> I want you to like also tell the people and me what would you like YOLO on a little bit. <laughs> Okay. And full disclosure, I actually, I do have a cool response for this one. So remember, I have my nest egg, right? And I don't, frankly, the stuff that I do for fun is not that expensive. I love to embroider memes on the side. Like I'm not, I'm not doing anything wildly expensive when my friend, especially when my friends aren't in town. Hmm. So I would do a couple things. I would, first and foremost, I would split this up into a similar ratio of what I do currently. I'd definitely stash a little bit away into my savings. So I'd probably stash, I'd say, you know, I'd say a hundred or 200,000 into the savings bucket. Then I'd buy a really, really cool van, like an epic travel mobile that Nick and I could then take wherever we wanted to go in the United States of America, because we, you know, we're both remote and I really want to go see other places with him. And I think it would be the easiest way for us to both do it without having to take time off. So that's that would be the second thing that I would do. And then I would start buying the things that I'm concerned about, but also somewhat interested in. So I'd start doing some weird cryptocurrency stuff. I'd maybe dabble in some options, not on things like Tesla for what it's worth. I would start buying options on things that I really want to gamble on, but I don't like I've told you before, I don't actually execute options. But if it feels like it's not my money, which in this case, it would feel like it's not my money, I would do some options. I would start doing things that are a little bit riskier, right? Because I've made a bunch of money and it's not money that I was expecting. But I do think that there's a point where you start leaning into a little bit more risk. And that would be the point for me. So a little bit into the savings, really cool travel mobile. And then some weird investing stuff that I wouldn't do with my own money. What about you? The first thing I would do would be to jump up and down. (laughs) The second thing I do would hire a financial advisor. Hire a financial advisor. Hang on. This is the age of the dinosaur and you're bringing it back. I am. Well, I guess I could just call you. Well, and I'm not saying don't because I am definitely not a financial advisor. I'm not knocking financial advisors per se. Right. But yeah, okay. I guess I can see why you'd hire a financial advisor. I don't know. Maybe I would. Maybe I wouldn't. That was kind of like always my answer because I was like, I don't know what to do with my money. But now I feel a little bit more empowered. So let me let me backpedal a little. Okay. What would I do? All right. Those three buckets of money I have in our very good friend, William, Mm -hmm. I would make all my goals a reality. So those would all go to 100% and mm-hmm. then some. Mm-hmm. So that's the plan for next year, check, and then some. That's the down payment for a house, check, done, and maybe then some. So I can pay off my mortgage and maybe all cash on a house, YOLO. And then my nest egg would be very, very luscious. 
<laughs> at that point. So that would be really important for me is really to make sure all those goals are fulfilled and I feel really good about it. Yeah. And then I would probably start talking to you about, hey, I think I'm ready to invest. Like, here we go. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would do. But definitely like the house is something top of mind for me. Like a million dollars, I can buy a house. Yeah, for sure. You could yeah. you could buy a starter home in Seattle with that kind of money. Yes, I could. And I would <laughs> love it. In cash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Okay. 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 So next question. What is something that scares you about money? Like what's your biggest financial fear? I lose my job and I can't afford my anything. <laughs> I think that's probably people or, or, or yeah, sure. I lose my job. I lose my medical insurance. And then like a big health scare happens. That's scary. That's probably one of my biggest fears. What about you? My biggest financial fear is similar to yours. It's, you know, you know that I have health issues currently perfectly fine, but I do have issues underlying in the background. And my biggest concern is that I don't have a job and then I suddenly have a big medical bill. And I've lived that firsthand. I've had to pay a lot of money to keep myself as healthy as I am. And it's a frightening thing to get that initial bill that's not that, you know, when you went to the ER and they didn't catch your insurance, they just bill you for it afterwards. And it's like, I don't know, $100,000 and they pare it down and they're like, don't worry, it's just 7000 And the only thing that went through my head was if I didn't have a good job right now, I would. there's not a chance I was paying a $7,000 medical bill. So yeah, that kind of stuff goes through my head. Hmm. All right. On the other end of the spectrum. What does wealth mean to you? Does it involve money or something else? That's a little bit of a leading question. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave off the second part of it. Okay. But wealth to me is just the accrual aspect of collecting money. So it's people are wealthy relative to what their views of wealth are. So I consider I consider both you and I to be wealthy. We have wonderful homes. We have excellent jobs and we're collecting money and we're able to go out and have fun and do all of the things. That to me is is what wealth, it should be for me, should be is the wrong word. It just is for me a state of continual growth of money. I almost wish this question was, what does wealth mean? And then what does success mean? Because to me, those are two separate things. So I think yeah. the second part of the question is what they're getting at. Wealth is exactly how you described it. Plus one. Success is like a balance of everything, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a balance of family. It's a balance of friends. It's a balance of things that you do that you feel like you're impacting and leaving the world a better place. Yeah. It's a job that like makes you feel good. And then at the end of the day, I think it's happiness. Right on. Mm -hmm. So I love the way that you described that, Megan. I think that's spot on. There's a difference between wealth and success. And I feel like this is a really good note for us to take another quick break and add it up. Yeah, let's do it. Let's leave it here. Okay, perfect. Hey, Sai. We're back. We back, girl. Not a long break. Just stared at you. 
which I love. Mm, I danced sweet, a little. Sweet face, my little t-shirt. I didn't even dress up today. I, I was just too lazy. I'm starving. I am starving. I have exactly one hour and 39 minutes to go before I can break my fast. So are you ready to add it up for me, girlfriend? Yeah, let's add it up. Okay. I love this exercise. We got through 11 questions, so we most likely are going to break out the other questions in next week. Would (laughs) you agree with that? I would agree with that. I agree. I think that we're going to complete this question, y'all. Awesome. I think this is an amazing tool for anyone to use that helps couples understand the thematic nature of your financial history. You know, you adopt things from your parents you might not be aware of that might be behaviors that you have around money that you've had from an early age, whether it's me buying a pink thong and you, you know, saving up your pennies to buy popcorn. I mean, what an amazing thing to think about. I also love the empathy approach here. You know, me as a storyteller, I love that. And I love the emotive nature we bring to it. And I think that's so important to humanize money. And I know this is just the beginning because we have so many more questions to answer answer next week, but I would highly recommend this to anybody. Yeah, I thought this was super eye-opening. I've learned a lot about where some of your habits even came from historically, which is just so interesting to me that that we can even extrapolate that information just based on our histories. And yeah, I'm excited to complete this. I am a little bit embarrassed of all the stuff that I've shared. (laughs) But as always, there's no shame, right? So I'm laying it out there. I Hopefully we can just keep rolling and I won't embarrass myself too much in the future, but we'll see. Embarrassment is part of the process. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? If I need to like lay myself naked in order to get other people comfortable with their financial situation, then so be it. So be it. All right. All right. Should we talk next week, babes? Let's talk next week. Okay. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Head on over to girlsjustwanna.com where you can subscribe to the show follow Megan and I on social, or even text us your important financial questions. And remember, there's no shame in asking anything. We'll see you next time on Girls Just Want to Have Funds.